everyone. Welcome to another episode of We Inspire. This one's quite a special episode for me because this is with someone that's probably my first ever client. Probably, we're going to probably show our age on this. But I am joined by co-founder, CMO, board advisor. I'm not sure how many more hats they need to wear. But this week's guest is Jennifer Roebuck. Jennifer, thank you so much. Thanks, Terry. Appreciate you having me on. This is exciting. I can't wait for the questions at the end. <laughs> I can't wait. That you've just given me. So I'm I'm thinking about them as we go. <laughs> We're not supposed to tell anyone. That's fine. It's supposed to be off the cuff, but yeah, now that now now that now, now it's out. Um I, I every time I kind of say that out loud, you was one of my first ever clients. Which is amazing. I don't think I realized that. So was that it's, what what firm were you at at that time? I can't even remember. <laughs> recruitment we move around a bit we move around you so couldn't keep me still i'd love to say it was all strategic to get me to ownership but it wasn't and, yeah. and i was probably pretty shit at the beginning as well to be fair so <laughs> i don't think i left i probably got fired oh, <laughs> but, oh, we got imp- we, but we improved we improved it's crazy though it has been <laughs> i'd love to say the same but i'm not sure i can as I said, it's crazy, like the the time that I've kind of got to know you. So I've been wanting to do this one for, and I know it's taken a little while for us to get that due to your crazy diary, which I mentioned how many hats you wear. I think for me, like we start everywhere. We start every single um, podcast with some quick fire questions. So these are okay. more for me, to be honest, just to see question sanity at times. It's always fun. Mm-hmm. So we've got five quick fire questions and we'll start with them and then we'll okay. go into... So where we're at now, we'll discuss quite a few things. Your career, I know you, the, you've got a real interest in like the AI transformation of industry and so just kind of talk us through your amazing career. Okay. So I'm going to start with my, I'm really interested in this one. What brand's exciting you right now? It's funny. So I was asked this question a couple of weeks ago, and I think one of the problems with being on like the more curious end of the spectrum as a as a human and with the work I do is I get really bored of brands because I look at so many case studies and yeah. so many things and you know it's it's not lost on me that the pace of brand reinvention is faster and faster these days right so you see more and more stuff but weirdly the brand that really stands out for me more recently is Uniqlo And actually, it's one that people would say, it's really dull. You know, they do the basics well. But I just think they're probably the most consistent in retail. And they've managed to bring these cult products to market. They store experience is great. I actually don't mind going into a Uniqlo store. And there are other stores I, I despise. They're just weirdly cool without trying to be cool. Yeah. That you you know you're in a Uniqlo store when you're in a Uniqlo store, don't you? Yeah, but also like, I mean, and I don't think women shop as much at Uniqlo, although I think that's starting to change. But most mm. men I meet, they're head to toe Uniqlo. I mean, and so with oh. all this lux- luxury and all this other stuff, people just go to Uniqlo. It's amazing. It's brilliant. I remember, like, I don't know how many years ago it was. I bought this re- red, like, rain jacket mm-hmm. from um, Uniqlo. But the colour like of variety was ridiculous. 
Yeah. I could have had it in, but there it was everything was bright. It was like a light blue, a turquoise, reds, oranges. It's <laughs> it was just nuts. And yeah, I don't think I could pull it off anymore, to be fair. I think I'm at that age where I just don't think it would work. It's funny, right? When you buy something like that. So I went through this phase, it was probably like 36 months ago. I just became obsessed with Essential Antwerp. You know that brand? Yeah. And it's a fun brand, right? It's pretty under the radar. Um, and their manifesto is is amazing. I think the the sign-off line is, we want to be your little pink pill. Like They just have this <laughs> real like sense of like kind of edgy adventure, which suits me. I'm definitely more on the edgy end of the spectrum. But um, the clothes are like so bright. And so my wardrobe started filling up with all of this stuff that I was like, I don't know that I can actually walk around like this all the time. Like it's just, it's like a little, and then I bought these like brooches. Like I have this like Diamante, like spider brooch. that's like the size of my, you know, my leg. I mean, it's like huge. I'm like, what was I doing? But all this stuff, I have these earrings that are like little like China dolls, you know? And I'm like, no, it's just really not going to work. So I gave it all to charity last, like a couple months ago which is like sad, but I mean, it, but yeah, I just, I don't know what it was. I was just on the website probably because of COVID where you just really, you it's really COVID felt, made you do it. kind of, I mean, you just felt <laughs> like you needed something fun. I think like an injection of energy and fun and positivity. And so here's essential Antwerp with like all this like orange clothing. I'm like, I need, I need orange, bright green, I bought this. Like, we all needed some kind of fun in that time, yeah. anyway. Just something to kind of brighten up what was so dark. Yeah, I had like a tutu. I mean, seriously. <laughs> and actually, my neighbor, she's like, "Can I borrow your tutu?" I'm like, "Yes, you can. Here it is." <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I wasn't uh, expecting this too early. I wasn't expecting fine. this too early. Um, let's get to the next one. <laughs> um, that's brilliant. I bought a tutu just randomly. Yeah. It's and the fact that your neighbor you. wanted to borrow it. No, do you know what? I'll send you a photo because the tutu <laughs> and the jumper go together. And actually, it's a really cool outfit. And you wear it with like um, chunky boots. It does work. So we're turning this podcast into fashion advice as well now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is what we're going to do next week as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start week. blogging on everything. I'm going to touch every part of every these podcasts week. and see what, how much ground I can cover. Well, this morning I read that Tractor Core is the new is the new thing. So there's a bunch of like farming supply websites that Gen Z are shopping from. Just in case you wanted wow. to know that, yeah, Tractor Core. Definitely, I'm going to be looking into that after this. Yep. Um, so <laughs> we know who excites you. Mm-hmm. What would be a what brand would you have loved to have worked at, like in their peak? in their peak hmm i mean that is a really hard question and even though you gave it to me about five minutes ago i still don't have an answer i think when everything so actually when when all saints was the cool thing i almost worked there uh and actually somebody talked me down from the ledge and that was probably a good idea so i didn't work there but i was obsessed and i wore all saints head to toe for like four years straight I think, honestly, like a brand that I should have worked for and had a job offer and didn't, but I suppose if 
if something major amazing came from them at any point, which would probably never happen, um, would be Apple. Yeah, I think most would say that, wouldn't they? Yeah. And so I was actually offered the job to run Europe online at Apple, and I didn't take it. Why? Because, and actually, I really respect this woman. So Steve Jobs was incredibly unwell at the time, and Mm. there was going to Tim Cook was about to take over the reins, which would have resulted in a lot of restructuring. And my interview process with them was like seven months long. It was very long. And it was very like casual and infrequent. You know, you have like the odd meeting with somebody and then six weeks would go by, you'd have another meeting. You know, it was very intermittent. And so part of my thinking was, well, I don't think I'm actually going to end up getting a job offer from Apple because this process is purely, is very bizarre and there's not much communication, whatever. So when she called me and said, you know, I'm very happy to offer you the role, but I have no idea what your job will be in three months time. Mm. There, there will be a job and we, we need, you know, this remit's important to us, right? Digital for Europe and Asia is a huge business. It was, you know, it was a billion plus at that point. And it was a, a succession planning conversation for an individual who was, who was running the department at the time and had plans to go to the U.S. Uh, headquarters for a role. And, you know, weirdly, I actually lived in Cupertino for a little while when I was in high school. So I kind of, you know, I knew I knew a lot about Apple. Um, and yeah, and so she was very honest with me. And I just said, you know, actually, I probably shouldn't do that. That would be something I might regret because I could end up in a position that I, I wasn't happy. And the whole place is so mysterious as it was. You didn't completely have a feel for what you'd be doing. Mm. Um, that's one of their things, like mystery, you know, secrets are held close. And I was used to working for a founder who actually, I was part of all the secrets. You know, I was able to be close to the decision-making at the front line and I think that became very important to me and, and still today is like a very big part of what motivates me is having, being able to be at ground zero for a lot of decision making is interesting. Uh, bearing in mind that I put this in your quick fire round. Yeah. That would have been Sorry. a question on its own for the main conversations, to be honest. I think that's crazy. So. <laughs> but. Oh yeah, ground zero or or the, the, no the the no to Apple. I well, didn't I know that. I right did not know that. I think it was the right thing because how how would I have known that I would be happy there? And mm-hmm. yeah, I guess I don't know at that time. This is a long time ago, right? This is yeah. This is more than ten years ago. I don't know. At that time that I totally knew what I what made me happy yeah. on a day-to-day basis, right? Sometimes it can be hard. You, you're busy at work and you have, you know, and I had amazing relationships. I always have had ma- amazing relationships with colleagues. But I don't think I could at that time put my finger on what was making me so loyal to my boss, to my peers. And yeah. what it was that I'm clearer on now is being at ground zero all the time, building things up from zero to one or from one to two within a a brand that had, you know, a global reputation to be in that position 
is for me and and you know everyone has their thing for me that's the most motivating moment or opportunity or access point that you can have as a marketeer well if this hasn't teed up the podcast nothing will if this <laughs> hasn't teed it up nothing ever will this is crazy <laughs> right now we're gonna get to, <laughs> these are very different to be fair the next three okay favorite cheap meal it's a cheap meal yeah, cheat meal. I mean, it's going to be a fast food situation. Um, Where are we going? I think it's In-N-Out Burger, animal style, <laughs> which is a secret item on the menu. Have you not been? No. I, oh, okay. I so thought you were going to go like a McDonald's or no, no way. In-N-Out Burger. No, no. I don't want McDonald's. <laughs> so I did go to McDonald's the other day. So we went to Center Parks for the first time ever, which actually was super cool. Yeah, And I don't know why I had this like negative impression of Center Park. So they need to do better with their branding and marketing. But anyway, uh, we went and on the way back, we were like, what do we do for a quick dinner? Let's do a drive through. So, of course, it's going to be McDonald's. And I, I'm gluten free, so I don't eat. I'm allergic to it. Mm. So the McDonald's menu is particularly tough for me, but I can have a Sunday. So my go to is like a McFlurry and fries. So that was my dinner on Sunday night. Right, so bad. I've got a question here because this is this is definitely <laughs> for the listeners. This is definitely one because I've had full blown arguments with my staff about okay. this. Okay. Do you dip your chips in the ice cream? Uh, no. Right, your reaction is what I would say is human. I've got twelve in this business. Nine of them said they dip their chips in their ice cream or their milkshakes. And I genuinely considered P45 in the lot of them. Well, I mean, look, I, I don't think that that's a bad idea. <laughs> it's disgusting. Actually, no, I can actually understand why that would work. I mean, so I like <laughs> chips and mustard and I like chips oh. and barbecue sauce. So I love barbecue sauce. Mm -hmm. Do you love and barbecue mayonnaise sauce? and ketchup. I mean, a, a condiments are amazing. So I don't know. You're talking to somebody who co-founded co a restaurant here. So like condiments are everything. They're life for my husband, especially they are life that we used to have like a whole, you know, you open up your refrigerator and you have the right hand side, which has all the shelving. Oh, and wow. It's, it's a condiment. We were talking bonanza. about that, wasn't we? He started, we were saying about like the kitchen and then the, so yeah. like, I'm not going to get into it because we spoke about it before we come online. But yeah, my wife is a nightmare for a condiment um, and, and also a location for the condiment. It's just a lot. Oh, right. Yeah, no. It's you, you, a lot. You've said that she's incredibly organized, whereas our condiment shelf is, it's like a tornado. You don't really want to look at it. I mean, I don't know. It have would time honestly to give like her it. panic attacks. Well, you said at the start, you're like, you have, you know, 20, 20 hats. And so as a result, I don't have any time to organize my condiment shelf. I, I, <laughs> Wherever I it lands, it, it stays. It stays in there until it gets really, really cluttered, and then you just have to do a whole refrigerator clear out, <laughs> and then you can, and then you can replace and get rid of anything that's expired. Right? Everyone does like a kitchen purge, right, a couple times a year, where you're like, God, all these things have expired, and and I feel really bad um, wasting them. But there you go. Yeah, you do it once, uh, twice, a couple of years. Like she'll do it once, a, once a week. It's ridiculous. Yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to use it. this as a therapy session for me. Because um, <laughs> uh, sometimes I need it. Right. Holiday Fair destination. Enough. Favorite holiday destination. And that is also hard. So 
I would have answered Ibiza, and mm-hmm. I have been to Ibiza 17 times. Um, well, but 17. This, yeah, I know. Uh, but this summer, and, and I go to the north of the island, just to be clear, which is the chilled out part. I'm not in the club. I was going to say, you and Wayne yeah, yeah. Lineker. In, um... No, 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 no. <laughs> Definitely not happening. No, no. Northern, <laughs> northern part of the island, really beautiful, super calm, very family friendly. I bring my child. She has fun. So that's that's my, my thing. Um, but um, this year we we went to a couple places that were new, and I we went to Corsica, and I actually think that might be my new favorite because it's so understated and so chill. There's nothing pretentious about it. People aren't like trying too hard. We went to Sardinia too, and that for me was just like mm. way too too try hard. I don't know why anybody needs to wear heels to the buffet. Yeah, I think. <laughs> I, it's like, I'm come not. on, people. Like, you're on holiday. You should have no makeup on. You should be rolling around, you know, drunk. in the grass. No, not drunk. Just <laughs> have a few glasses of wine and keep it under control. I look, when you have kids, you know, everything, either you have to be more measured. But just chill out. Just, you know, don't make an effort. That's the point. You know, read a nice book. Like, it's not about being seen. And and there were people there. It did, and this is like an age agnostic comment, right? It didn't matter. There were like 22-year-olds in heels. And then there were these like women in like, you know, silk gowns, like at the buffet, you know, helping themselves to like a mozzarella stick. And I'm just thinking, this is just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and so Corsica, it was just really cool. There were all these like little huts, you know, like a pizza bar with a hut. And then like the guy has his like dog. The dog is tied up to the bar and everyone's kind of just saying hi. And there's a little friendly cat in the corner. Like that's how it should be. It was just really it's cool. nice and relaxed and really kind of like good vibes. And just good vibes. Yeah. And the island's protected, right? So there's not a lot of tourism. There isn't a lot of um, commercial property development. Mm. Uh, and so there are very few hotels you can actually go stay at so I think that in itself just keeps the essence of it incredibly natural which I I loved yeah okay final question what would be your superpower I think my superpower would be well it would be one of two things it was either to be like ninja fast with math and finance yeah i'm not or i would be able to write code one of those two things that's such a you answer by the way (laughs) (laughs) that is such a you that is honestly as we go through this podcast guys you will notice how that all makes sense (laughs) for me (laughs) i'd be invisible or fly or something like that no no (laughs) yours are i'd love to be able to do fast maths yeah it's like a weapon it's such a you answer it really is (laughs) if that i was talking about this with a friend the other day i was like you know when you're but but it's it's super essential right if you're in a board meeting and you have an hour and you're looking i just love how it reverted back to work like i genuinely all it would be for me is that's meant to fly no reason. I just think it you would want be to cool fly. as fuck. Yeah. Just 
I would never have to pay for car insurance again. Like, there was no real thought process in it. I don't really think Yours went, it's because I'd be great in board meeting. I could be even stronger in a board meeting. We've got different answers. Yeah, but like, I don't worry about, okay, maybe that's, you know, look, we've worked really hard in our career and we have a restaurant <laughs> chain. And so, yeah, okay, car insurance is important, but I don't really drive anywhere. First of all, I don't drive. I don't have a license. So if you could, so, I just love the answer. It, was, it literally was, if I, I was in a board meeting, <laughs> if I was in a board meeting, what's going to better me? No, I don't Even your superpower anywhere. reverted back to work. Well, no, but I think it would be writing code first, to be fair. I think it would, it, I would love because to be able to Because it would help just, work. Uh, no, so, it, well, it would indirectly, but <laughs> specifically, I would just let, if I want, if I, you know, going about my day, week, month, I just would want to build something with ease. And I have all these things that I, I think we need in a professional context. And I apologize for that, but that's just how I am. Um, <laughs> it's like my hobby. I don't know what to tell you. Running is a hobby too and cooking, but I just want to make stuff. And so I'm constantly frustrated by the fact that I can't like take large swaths of inter information and assimilate them into concepts. And if I could just write code to do that, that'd be really easy. Honestly, so this, is, this is, them know, quick fire sad. questions I... have teed up exactly why Jen's had the career. Like She was not failing at anything, it's clear. No, right, I've so. Everything, lots of things. Actually, failing is good for us. It's good to fail. It is, but I think your the mindset is different. I think I've said it to you before. It's just I've never heard anything. The way that you think <laughs> is crazy, but in a good way. Like I've just never heard anyone so forward-thinking. And I passionate I can about. I be myself, you know. I, can oh, I love myself. it. As I said, this has been. I think this is like fifteen years I've known you now. Yeah. So it's a long time, um, honestly. But even this for me is just crazy when I hear it. We don't normally talk like this. No. It, no. So like and this I for me. Is, the, yeah, and look, I am on the. There's a continuum of like everyday needs, and then just complete bonkers and i'm on the, i'm closer to the bonkers end i get that and it's just what i'm like <laughs> these are the things i think are interesting and so yeah over time you actually think do you know what i can't fit into this mold anymore and i'm good at what i'm good at it's a slightly bonkers mix of skills the reason i have this bonkers mix of skills which is a totally genetic you know my father was an engineer and my mother was a fashion designer for the queen so if you take those two things, like as as things that you're just randomly good at, that's why. That's where it comes. Listen, from. scrap the podcast. I forget <laughs> it. You've just said literally, guys. I'm sorry. I'm going off topic here. Your mom is a fashion designer day. for the Queen. Now, anyone that knows me, and I mean this in the least weird way possible, <laughs> I am obsessed. Really? With the Queen. Obsessed. Yeah, obsessed. The greatest monarch that's ever lived. So like, I'm just not. I'm I'm actually not uh, at all. Don't and, ruin uh, it. Don't I'm ruin sorry. it. I've got loads of questions. Okay. No, we'll leave there for But that is amazing. A fashion designer for the Queen and your dad was an engineer. Mm -hmm. uh, how was that? 
Well, you, I didn't notice it. You why you wouldn't notice it. It was just well, no, because keep in mind in the sixties, right? Mm. Like, you know, you had like a couture design house that made stuff for the royal family. And so it's not like you were directly designing for but that but that was what you know what she did. She was like they made clothing so seamstress you know drawing um by hand creating but it was the 60s so it was very it wasn't what you see today in fashion no. so my nanny was a i always call her my nanny like everyone looks at me like, like if you're not growing up i'm like no she was my nanny <laughs> she was a seamstress yeah but she made my mum's wedding dress um she worked with um a few not not big brands or anything like that but like you said it was very different times but yeah, it was all like behind the scenes. And so you were given a brief and then you just made something from start to finish. That's what you did. But it was a one of one. You know, it's not like it's not like it's a brand. And so Mind yeah, blown. Growing, up, growing up, there were like boxes and boxes of designs all over the place. Oh, my mind is blown. And like sewing machines and drawing easels and, you know. <laughs> and so and then the other side was like living in a house with like the latest technology like things you don't need like i played pac-man on like a 60 inch tv screen in the 80s <laughs> it made no sense i can't get my head around this <laughs> this is i'm gonna be honest this is i love doing these podcasts i really yeah. this is e already my favorite like this is easily <laughs> like it's and i'm sorry because i love all of them i do this one's mad right so because you've blended your mum well, think, and your dad's. Because obviously you said you 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 was kind of introduced to technology very early on, as well as fashion as well. It was around, but you've kind of had both of them in your career. Was that intentional or? Um, probably. Well, no. Yes. I mean, I don't know. I studied textile design in hmm. in college. Yeah. So I have a design degree and a marketing degree. Hmm. Um, and the only reason I have a marketing degree is my parents basically said, you'll have no money if you try and design. You'll be really poor. So you should <laughs> do something that makes money. <laughs> uh, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll do that. Even though, you know, I spent pretty much my entire childhood reading fashion magazines and like, you know, I, and lifestyle and interior design. It was always design and very aesthetically motivated. That was like my hobby. So and and music. So I spent hours listening to music and looking at album covers and reading about culture. So I've always been really into that. And then I grew up in Silicon Valley. So when you graduate from university, I mean, you're pretty much going to work in tech. I mean, what else would you do? There's no fashion there. I worked for the Gap as an intern. I mean, that was uh, really boring. So um, <laughs> yeah, because it wasn't like you. <laughs> No, but I, I mean, look, you, you spend all this time in university and your professors, your lab technician, all these people, you know, tell you to dream big and design great things. And then you go to the gap and it's like a chino. It's just, you know, it just isn't, it just isn't the same. Like, dare I say it? So I thought, well, God, maybe I should go work in technology. I think that would just be a little bit better. And I actually wasn't that bad at it. I was pretty good at understanding the concepts like how hardware worked and how software worked and 
how to market using digital media, which I started digital media pre-Google. I mean, I'm that old. So we used lots of raw data coming out of servers and I had to learn how to write some code to understand data and do early decision analytics to decide how I was going to buy media to negotiate one-to-one with media um, businesses. This is like Yahoo days. And I had friends who worked for digital media companies, right? And it was fun. We would like, we all had our instant messengers and we would negotiate deals. And then my friends would send me pictures of people they could see on match.com. Should I go out on a date with that guy or that guy? Right. It's just like internet dating. (laughs) It's really funny. And we were like, no, that guy looks lame. Don't go on a date with that guy. Right. It was like before pre-Tinder. And so it was fun because we were in Silicon Valley. We went to every VC launch party for pets.com and umbrellas.com and pizza.com and all the dot-coms, right? Mm. Um, So it was cool. It was really fun. And then I just kind of, I stuck with it and I moved here. And then I was like, I just really want to work in fashion, but the only thing I could now do in fashion would be marketing, right? That would, Mm. what else could I do? And as it happened, and it's more UK specific, I think the UK were like, I think they just thought that the internet was done. So let's just leave the internet. We don't need it. U.S. carried on. And so I had all of this digital experience when I moved here in 2003. And as it happened, you know, Arcadia Group was big at the time and Topshop was the biggest brand and they they needed to digitize because they decided that in 1999, the Internet was done. But by 2007, it was very clear that the Internet was not done and that people mm-hmm. were buying stuff on the internet in large volumes. And actually the UK was hugely behind. So that was how I bridged in. Um, and then I think it just, I guess, became clear that some of the design skills and aesthetics and cultural knowledge and all of that just was I, probably embedded in me. And so I was able to kind of bridge more broadly wow. over time. No, I've ripped up the questions. I've ripped them up. We're just gonna we're just gonna run like we normally. No, but I have them. We we use them where we need them. But to be honest, there's that introduction was phenomenal. Um, Thanks. And you've got like coming back into it. Like obviously, you come into the UK. Obviously, it wasn't the first role. You obviously went into Nectar Loyalty first of all. Like that was Mm -hmm. where it was first of all. So that was kind of at the infancy of CRM as well. Really, wasn't it? Yes. I mean, so the issue, the biggest issue I had when I came to the UK was nobody understood my CV. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I was just, I was very advanced in digital. I, I spoke to two companies, Barclays and Nectar. And yep. and I, I worked at Nectar. And even then, I had more advanced digital skills than they had. So I could only stay there for like a year and a half. There were some great people, don't get me wrong. But it, it was... um it wasn't really for me, but the, you know, understanding like detailed segmentation and creating like lifetime value oriented strategies and all of that. Well, I had just come out of retail banking. And so I knew all of that incredibly well. And the bank I worked for was incredibly advanced with its, I guess, the digitization of customer experience. And then specifically like the economic an experiential piece coming together. Um, mm. It was pretty thought leading at that time. And so I had come into the country with all of that experience. Mm. And and again, something that we touched upon, which obviously, look, we don't know the exact 
but you was one of the first to do multi-channel retail. Um, yeah. That's crazy. Like, how? How? What was the the bridging of the gaps that were required at the time to, for you to do that? So I think there were a couple of things. Right. One was having the so the opportunity to consult at Arcadia was mm-hmm. incredibly helpful because they were, you know, to their credit for all the things that I thought were bizarre about the place from a logistics perspective. And this is actually Matthew Trigas, who don't know if you know Matthew, but he's amazing. He was leading that consulting work. And there were a couple of us who were brought in to assist with different things. And so the logistics piece around, you know, right stock, right time, right unit, right place, you know, making sure availability was front and center really did help you think about cross-channel early, right? You know, where should availability be? How can the customer experience be improved? Which then immediately connects into marketing because the channels that you use to communicate, how you use to communicate, all needs to be joined up. And so what I remember after consulting for them for probably a little over a year, culturally, it was never going to be right for me. I mean, I remember, so first of all, you were not allowed to use the internet unless you were on a terminal. And I just, I just said to the CIO, I was like, this is insane. Like, what do you mean? We have to use a terminal? It's 2007 or maybe it was 2006. And I had just left Orange Telecommunications where I was partly responsible for doing the content deals with the record labels to get artist content on phones. Right. So I'm using 3G and then I and then I show up at Arcadia and you can't use the Internet. And I'm thinking this is bonkers. Right. <laughs> so that was that was never going to work because the terminal. Right. You, you know, and there was like an office with no window. It was just weird. So um, that didn't work. And I got recruited to go and meet um, Stephen Marks at French Connection. And I had no idea who he was because I'd only been in the UK for a couple of years. I knew French Connection. I knew FCUK, of course, because it was huge in North America, where I'm from. And at that time, you know, the brand had a lot of cachet. And I think the designs were really strong. And it was definitely, you know, doing great things kind of Mm. culturally, creatively. It always had a bit of an edge to it, which I really liked. Yeah. And so I went there and I don't know, it was there was just always this unnecessary complexity around how marketing worked how you build a brand how should the brand be connecting digitally how does it connect you know physically what kind of advertising strategy should you invest in and inevitably what kept coming back full circle was social media right so the consumers on social media now so this is kind of 2008 9 10 and the innovations on social media and the store windows were already becoming digital and so i don't know you just start connecting the dots and so it just made sense to join join the functions the customer doesn't care that there's a digital person and a brand person it's, and yeah. so and so you need that knowledge and i think this is what became clearer over time was if digital isn't if you aren't leading digitally first then you're kind of not really relevant anymore and i was able to think that way but i had had enough exposure to brand building through orange and in the states you know the bank i worked for is the biggest bank in the us and we invested a ton in media and so i had i had already been exposed to kind of classic brand training um cpg based 
bread architectures and things like that. So it wasn't too hard for me to apply that and then just bridge the digital in so that you could understand the seamless experience from the brand side. And then I had already been in e-commerce, right, for a while. At that point, I think I had about six years of kind of mm. proper day-to-day trading, classic, you know, conversion funnel stuff to sort of attach to the day-to-day ops side. So, yeah, so it just made sense. There were still debates all the time. Like, I remember there was <laughs> still really, debates today. Yeah, I remember there was <laughs> this really tense moment because I had an idea that was actually really great for a store window and the Windows team were like really bent out of shape because it didn't come from the Windows team. You know, just stupid stuff like that where you go, why is everybody losing sleep over these things? Like, the best idea is the best idea. I don't care where it comes from, personally, uh, right? You, you, uh, and you've done that everywhere you've been as well. So I, I've, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, I've been lucky to work with you on a number of locations. So when you look at the this, this, this profile that you've had, obviously Arcadia, French Connection, and then obviously you moved into the more advisory role, didn't you? Where I think I worked with you, is it Amora Visa? I don't think we worked together there. Yeah, well, I think I placed with you at Amora Visa. Oh, okay. See, um, I'll, I'll never forget a placement, ever. It's the only thing I'm known for, <laughs> is doing them, so I don't forget them. And They're then great. CMO for Feel Unique. So building mm-hmm. Feel Unique up, which is obviously now part of Sephora, you kind of led that, the growth there. Mm-hmm. I know at the time you was at Feel Unique, you then took an, a kind of a non-exec role at TED that then ended up going into a more permanent fixture as a CCO. Mm-hmm. Since then, you've done non-exec roles at Avivo. Um, you went, carried on with obviously a more Visa. You've got your restaurant advising mm-hmm. at fossil a cmo mm-hmm. for metaversal non-exec mm-hmm. at albright mm-hmm. it's what's been looking at all of that like from if i took like the, the the podcast head off and put my recruitment head on when i see that kind of profile you it's crazy like what the brands, because it was always at peak as well. The, the question I asked you at the beginning, like the brands, the, the lights I've worked off during their peak. Every role you've worked, it was in their peak. But there must have been, Ooh. is there one part that of your career so far in all of them amazing brands that's like you've sat there and gone, wow, that was a, that was a moment for me? I mean, I, I, I want to say no, but... Love that. Make my podcast harder than it needs to be. (laughs) No, no. I mean, look, I think like when you're, when you're working for brands, like it looks great on paper and don't get me wrong. These are brilliant brands in their time. And, you know, Mm. unfortunately in fashion brands come and go. And so Mm -hmm. every, you know, you could, you could get 50 of us into your office who were the, as we say, the OGs of fashion in 2006. And the majority of those brands are out of business. So I don't know, like highlights, like there's been a lot of really cool moments where we've created great things. It's not really me, it's my team, myself, Mm. people giving me space and autonomy to do these things, you know, right time, right place. I think when we made, and this is actually, you know, an agency that I've been fortunate to know over the years, Poke, who got acquired by publicists, like I worked with them a couple of times we made together the very first social commerce thing, I guess. I don't even know what you call it. It was on YouTube. It was a YouTube store. 
still doesn't exist today. We built the first and only one of those. And that was before TikTok. That was before WeChat mini programs. Right? It was like one of the first social commerce experiences. And that was like global. I mean, I think I think I was asked to speak about that for three years straight <laughs> at conferences. <laughs> it's just like, oh what the God. listeners don't know is I know how many things you say no to doing. <laughs> Well, you can't, I mean, geez, you know, you need a personal life and you, and I'm not, it's like, I like to, I do like to attend events and I love meeting people and it's fun and I'm an ambivert. So I'm never going to be one who's going to like go and show up at an event and, and network the room. I'll probably end up having a conversation with just like three really fascinating people for the whole night. Mm. And so you do need to do those things. I think it's really good for us as humans to put ourselves out of our comfort zone. Mm. I'm, I'm a huge advocate for that. And so if I didn't work on these projects and if I didn't start speaking publicly and if I didn't, I would actually still be as nervous as I was in my 30s. And I was petrified of doing all those things, you know, I'm just, you know, we're, we're all human beings. So, yeah, I mean, there's been some great moments. I don't think, I don't know that I'll ever have like the moment. I mean, like I said, like I would love to just build something crazy. <laughs> and use and your like, superpower. Use your superpower. Use my superpower. Uh, and I haven't done that. I've been part of great teams. I, you know, I'm married to an entrepreneur and the restaurant chain exists because, you know, he was pushing it forward and I was supporting and participating. And even now, I mean, I was there a couple of weeks ago having a brand workshop. So, you know, these are all different experiences. It's okay. hard to say that there's like a highlight. I'll, I'll let that one. I'll let that one. Like I've got a choice, but I'm going to say it. I'll let it slide. It's <laughs> like I've got a choice in this. You don't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the big things for you. Um, so again, knowing the conversations we've had, the length of time we've known. One thing you constantly do is push yourself from an educational mm-hmm. perspective. Mm-hmm. What what is it about that 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 is so important that you, in this industry as well that to constantly push yourself? I guess there's a couple things, right? So so when you think about retail, digital, customer experience, culture, it just changes so quickly. I mean, how how can you be at the forefront of what's happening and what matters to be able to navigate it and make really strong commercial recommendations, whether that's in a full-time role, in a board role, freelancer, it doesn't matter. Like you're, you're only as good as you are when you're relevant. And the only way to be relevant is to push yourself to be part of these new, I think, technology driven moments in time. And it's funny, there was actually a, you, I don't know if you follow A16Z, you may not, but it's a really, it's a huge venture capital firm. Um, they released a very contentious article. Mark Andreessen released this article maybe two weeks ago, which basically said, you know, for mankind, right, for all the things we have as mankind, right, we have the ability to, you know, there's science and math and you think about all the things that change the world, like technology is at the core. And so my view, I guess, has always been if I if I don't understand the technology and I don't understand what's working and how to make it work, how can I apply anything strategically to the sort of foundations? Because you need to understand that. And consumer foundations change too. So I would say like the things I keep, the things I, I like to say current on are technology, consumer behavior and brand, 
strategy. These brands are fascinating to me because they're this like amorphous thing that changed human behavior. Mm. They can, you know, people spend money on stuff because there's this artificial belief that something validates you. Like that's mm. fascinating. And you could, that's, that's the whole of luxury fashion right there. So I la- I'm very fascinated by the intersection of technology, brands, and creativity always have been. Mm. So that pushes me. I, I'm definitely now, my friend says I'm infobese. I'm definitely infobese. And I've stopped taking like micro credential courses because I don't think so I have just got another MBA. No, no, I did a master's program. You did a master's, that was it. I'm, I'm done with that. I'm done now. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you're saying now you're done with it. Well, how many, do, how many have you got? Is, no, I only have one master's degree, one bachelor's and like six or seven micro credential things. Just, I think the thing is, I think you could do more to be honest. Yeah. You no, said no, that like there was nothing there. <laughs> no, it does take a freaking ton of time. And this is why I'm not doing it anymore. I think my husband was probably going to just take my <laughs> laptop away, ban, ban me from the internet. But podcasts have replaced that. Okay. That will lead me to another question in a bit then, because I do okay. have a question around that. So with obviously, I said I think I go. I went back to the beginning, and I said it there. You're you're very interested and inquisitive in regards to AI, mm-hmm. and you you you've got this. But it's the big thing, and and that's the next big thing for for retail, really, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's one of them. Yeah, that's yeah. So what what with what what, what do you think is exciting for the industry? What what do you think's coming up? So I think digitally, obviously, AI is helpful, right? AI workflows, AI decision-making. And actually, AI has been embedded in a lot of the retail software we use anyway, right? Machine learning, you know, algorithmic personalization, all of these things have been around for a little while. So some of this is not new. I think embedding AI into workflows and making people, helping everyone become better at what they do, you know, like it does make you a better version of yourself yeah um and so i think as long as soon as people can get their head around that and not feel shame right oh i used i used ai for this and i'm gonna just brush that under the carpet because it makes it look like i i'm not good at my job or i'm not smart enough it's like Mm. just use it it's there to be used it saves you a lot of time it saves me a tremendous amount of time i can get probably 30 percent more work done in a day because i can use ai so I think that's important. So digitally, I think the things that are really going to change are are really immersive driven, right? So graphics are getting better. AI is helping people produce faster with no coding required, almost no graphic design experience required. And so suddenly the way that we express digitally, I think is going to become much more immersive in 3D and tactile. And that'll change commerce, right? Mm-hmm. And then I think physical... I'm not sure how any retailer is going to get away without some kind of immersive, engaging physical experience because Mm -hmm. it's just becoming, it's the expectation from a Gen Z and a Gen Alpha that you will have something interactive Mm. in your store. And so if you're just selling dresses on racks, I think you can probably expect that in five years, your store is probably going to be pretty empty. Mm. And you can see it. Just go go on Oxford Street on a Saturday 
we went to a restaurant opening a couple of weeks ago. And I, first of all, I always get off at Tottenham Court Road and I go to the outer net and I just stand in that 3D, you know, pixelated room. And I'm completely immersed in that, you know, mentally where I'm like, this is amazing. I love it. And then you can see, and so then we popped into that across the road on Shaftesbury. There's a immersive batting cage retailer called Lids just opened line around the block. And then to your left is a thing called Sandbox VR, which is, first of all, has a bar that makes cocktails, which is a robot. There's no humans. And then everyone's in these boxes wearing these VR headsets, playing games together, fully booked. And then walk down Oxford Street and every store is empty. And so what does that say? It says everything, doesn't it? It It says says everything. All I had to do was look at footfall. There's lines out the door for immersive, exciting, engaging things. And there's empty units sitting there with no customers. That's it. So I, I think I when you put that into simpl- like simplifying it, it's as easy as that. You can see it. You can see it. So I walk around enough where you, your pattern recognition gets pretty strong. You say, well, this is what people want. This is what consumers want. Consumers want TikTok. They want gaming. And so retail is gaming. And Nike are at the forefront of that. You know, when they acquired Artifact, and a lot of people look at all this metaverse stuff and they say, oh, metaverse, and it's hype, and it's over. It's not over. It's just not new news. I think Nike turned over, I don't know, 500 million on digital collectibles last year. I don't, I wouldn't sneeze at that. You wouldn't, um, would you? No, you wouldn't. Gucci's number two. So, you know, don't dismiss some of these things that feel frivolous or for the kids or they're just niche because people are spending all their time in Roblox and in Fortnite and on TikTok and on Snapchat. Instagram is not the number one choice for Gen Z anymore. Like this is, you know, things are changing. I'm really fascinated by all that because I think it's important to understand all of that, but then to understand your first principles in relation to that. It's a channel. And so this is why you have to understand where the puck is going because you have to understand the channels. And so TikTok, if you're in e-commerce right now, and you don't have a TikTok shop live with full funnel running, you're already behind. And I speak to a lot of people who don't. In fact, most don't. But that's that's where we're going. That's crazy. Okay, look, you've had... I've also, obviously, we spoke before this, um, and people that you've worked with, obviously, we spoke about Suzanne. We both know, both love, she's great. You've obviously inspired a lot of careers throughout your your tenure in the industry. What I would love to know is who's inspired you? Hmm. Who's inspired me? Hard question. And it's not because I don't think people are amazing. I do. I actually think everyone's inspiring. Mm -hmm. I get inspired by reading and listening. Like I said, podcasts have taken over. So I'm inspired by like radical thinkers. So I can say that those people who are brave enough to like put their ideas out into the universe without being judged. Right. Cause that's a very vulnerable thing for people to do. And they're happy to just be creators. I think creators inspire me. I think um, really radical thinkers inspire me. People who are at the forefront, I, I will say like venture capitalists and venture capital firms inspire me because they're brave enough to go out and raise lots of capital and then deploy it and invest in these concepts that are ahead of their time with small addressable audiences, you know, no proven product that's going to 
drive any revenue and, and really appeal to a consumer yet, but they're solving problems or so those are the people that inspire me more than anything else. And I've always been like that. Like I, I wouldn't say like retail doesn't really inspire me. I'll be honest. I don't get inspired. It's by creative thinkers and brave. It's creative makers. thinkers, bravery, people who go after big vision. I'm always inspired when I see like an entrepreneur, you know, taking on like an enormous challenge or somebody trying to solve problems in new ways. Like those are the things I think that get me out of bed in the morning. So, and I've just always applied that to retail thinking, but the average retailer just wants to sit around and read a, a line sheet and look at trading. And I get that you need to trade. You obviously need to run a commercial business. That just doesn't motivate me. I'd rather build stuff from scratch or or scale something or be in like an innovation lab within a big company, kind of like working on what's going to come in the future. Well, the 80% is managed by people who really enjoy the 80%. Love that. So look, we I'm going to finish up with my final question. Okay. No, there's two. There is two. We've got the end one that we ask everyone else. But my final question for you was mm-hmm. be, if you could, would you have changed anything in your career? Hmm. I don't know. That's really hard. I think because I'm just naturally curious, I enjoy doing a lot of things. So the question really is, would I have been more satisfied or engaged if I chose a different path? And I don't know. I definitely think I I think I should have gone to grad school earlier and I suppose and like I said like the superpower comment around just greater financial you know depth right the ability to really understand finance like the the profession of finance not just being numerate probably should have been an earlier priority for me so a lot of people you know my husband included who went you know to top MBA schools and invested that time. And I think it's changing today, but I think at that time, I think that's a path that's well worth the time and financial investment. I don't think it's really respected in retail as much, which is a shame. And so when you're surrounded by industries and people that aren't necessarily prioritizing those types of skills, you don't necessarily go after them yourself. And so I probably, I probably would have done that earlier if I was in a different space. And yeah, I probably would have been more not that I wasn't bleeding edge, but I probably would have gone for the Apple type roles that probably pushed me even further out of my comfort zone. And I, and I was definitely in a comfort zone. So, but I don't know, would that have made me happier? I don't know. Like I've just met some great people and I've, I've had a ton of fun just being creative and having had the freedom to launch brave things for brave brands where, you know, that are founder led where you're allowed to take risks. So you know, those are those are hard hard things to find. But I think I was quite lucky. Look, as I said, it's a hell of a career, isn't it? Really. Like you said, you had fun doing it. And Yeah. And you have to keep having fun. And that's why I haven't jumped back into anything retail related, because I don't know anybody in retail right now that's having fun. I think people are finding it hard and I think it's just like we're at this moment where it's innovate or die, you know, and that's hard. Like financially, that's a very hard conversation because you have to, you have to retain your core business while you change. Absolutely. Um, and there are very few businesses that are, are good at that. Amazon's one that's very good at that and they have a methodology for it. Hmm. So I think a lot of these 
older legacy businesses need to take a page out of some of these more progressive business model books and understand how they are going to innovate well retaining core. And that's something I've had to learn over time because when I was younger, I was like, why do you need core? Just do the new stuff. I mean, obviously that's really stupid. And I was just being, you know, a rebellious 28 year old, but you know, I, I appreciate the core and the core of a business and what a business stands for. And it has to do something well, but somehow every business needs to do both. Absolutely. Now, final question. For me, this 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 podcast is all about inspiring what we're talking about, the next generation of these these leaders and the next kind of CMOs and advisors and stuff. There's a long way for them to go, some of the listeners. Mm-hmm. But what would your advice be to those that are looking to have a career similar to yourself? What what would your advice be to them now? Well, I mean, God, it's so different these days. I think I think no matter what, that finance rigor is incredibly important. And I think it's going to become even more important because the kind of end-to-end process of bringing products to market, managing brands, trading in channels, this is you know pretty nerdy, but there's like every business has a, a value chain, right? From one end to the other. And that just describes the makeup of a business. And so what are all the things that the business does to make money? And they're just in little, they're in little sections, right? And every time there's something new in technology, one of those sections gets removed. So the end-to-end process is now getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And so what that means is that if you're running an e-commerce business or you're a CMO and you're a cost center, You have to understand how to get to profitability, even if you're not in finance. So thinking that way, I think is becoming increasingly more important because there's so much compression from the consumer to the end product than there ever has been. So I I just always say to CMOs that I know who aren't finance oriented, and actually I did a a talk, I was on a panel, I don't know, a couple months ago, and it was all about the elusive role of a non-exec and what exactly is it and how do you become one. And I think people think that there are people on boards and boards sit around and talk and what do they do? And that's totally fair because I had the same (laughs) questions before (laughs) I was on a board. And when I joined the board, I had no idea what I was doing, right? So we all have our first moment and we learn and again, just being very human. And one of the questions that came up more than anything else during that morning session was, as a CMO, do I have to understand how a P&L works? And I think for me, that was where the penny dropped because I didn't realize how many CMOs don't know. And why would you? You're a cost center. Mm. You're responsible for demand generation through right a solid investment strategy and brand strategy that somebody else in the organization picks up on the operations side and makes sure that the product's there. But if you're working in e-commerce and in digital and it's, everything is more and more and more digital, you now have to understand that. And so one of the greatest um, recommendations I was given early in my career was no matter what you do, go own a PL somewhere. And that is what I did. And that was why I went into e-commerce because you can't have a PL in marketing. But I think CMOs are going to become more like GMs over time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jen, thank you so much for joining me. This has been incredible. Um, just for me personally, just to hear this out. We've heard, we've spoken a long time. 
but the journey has been incredible so i just want to say a massive massive thank you for joining us so that's it for this week's episode um thank you so much again for jen to, to jen for joining us make sure you stay tuned and we'll see you soon thanks jen thank you